0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be another kind of first for me. If you tuned in a few weeks ago... I did a first-ever Christian skeptic Christmas-themed episode asking if Christmas trees are pagan, or if they come from a pagan tradition. And so it's only fitting I do another first based on a holiday, and that is a New Year's-themed episode. I don't know that I would call this a New Year's resolution-themed episode, but I've been noticing a trend lately, a trend that at least came onto my periphery Through Sam Harris's Making Sense podcast. As some of you may know, I'm a huge fan of Sam Harris's podcast. And I really appreciate the conversational note that he takes in his podcast and how he just uses logic and kind of dives into deeper things and challenges questions of religion and science and all kinds of things. And so he had an episode recently called How to Keep Your Sanity in 2024. And then couple weeks later dave ramsey who i also listen to on a regular basis hosted a live stream event with his personalities on how to handle money and face anxiety and fears when it comes to money and finances in 2024 and so in the media i've noticed this talking with friends i've noticed that there is some trepidation some anxiety about the year 2024 it's an election year Inflation is at an all-time high here in America. Interest rates on mortgages and cars and everything are going crazy right now. There's a, a general kind of divide among the public on some pretty important social issues. Race, gender, politics, economics, and religion are all kind of at the forefront of a cultural divide in Western culture, and I would argue even in culture worldwide. There are wars going on right now in the world. And in general, there's an uncertainty as to what will happen in the future. Will there be another pandemic? Will more wars break out? Will we head towards World War III or worse, the end of the world? I recently returned from a business trip coming back from Salt Lake City. And I had a layover in Phoenix. And then on my return flight, which is about a 90-minute flight... I sat next to an older gentleman and we had a wonderful conversation. His name was JR, so JR if you're listening, uh, here's a shout out. And we had a wonderful conversation about biblical archaeology, about church, about just life and finding meaning and following God's will in life. And as we deboarded the plane, we got off and somehow the conversation turned to the year 2024 and the nation and upcoming events. And I told JR, I said, you know, overall, I'm relatively optimistic about the future. I don't think that we need to fear doomsday. I am not that anxious about the future. (laughs) And he laughed and looked at me and said, of course you are, you're young. And then we began, not really a debate, but a conversation in which I believe we probably agreed to disagree to some extent on the end times and what it's all boiling to and how bad the world is and how godless the world is. And it wasn't that intense. And, and Jr. Uh, was not one of those Christians that you know, was super into conspiracy theories. Uh, in reality, I believe he was a realist, uh, but he wasn't as optimistic as I am. But I, that was more evidence, I think, that kind of showed that, in general, people are not optimistic about the world. People are not optimistic about their own situation. Anxiety is at an all-time high. So, with that being said, today I want to talk about What should we do in 2024? How should we move forward? It's an interesting question. And and I'll admit, approaching this year, I'm less optimistic than I have been in other years. And so, to Sam Harris's credit, focus on what you can change was the message of his podcast. Meditate daily, tackle your own anxieties, see what good you can do for your community, for your environment, for your friends and family... And hats off to you, Sam. That was an excellent episode. To Dave Ramsey's credit, focus on your finances. Get out of debt. Create a budget. Be smart with your money. Don't load up for yourself more debt than is absolutely necessary. Hats off to you, Dave Ramsey, and the whole team for that fantastic podcast. But what do we do from a spiritual perspective? Again, it's no secret that 2024 is an election year for the United States of America, and History could give us some inclination that the coming election might be just as divisive as any election has ever been. Hopefully, not, but maybe, if not more. We have a culture of Christianity that is divided. And many of you, and maybe even me, will go to a church and politics will be brought up, especially as we get close to November. And maybe if it's not a church, it's a family member or a friend or a neighbor or someone saying, I don't know how someone can be a Christian and vote for such and such. Or I don't know how someone can be a Christian and not be fully supportive of such and such political candidate. Well, I think it's quite easy to be a Christian and support no political candidate. I think it's quite easy to be a Christian and vote however the heck you want to vote because no political candidate is Jesus Christ himself That's not going to happen until the end of the age, which I referenced earlier. And they're all flawed human beings. And there are many things that the left, the Democratic side, believes that you can support with the biblical worldview. And there are many things that the right, the Republican side, believes that you can support with the biblical view. I'm not going to go too much into depth here because I do have an episode that I did a couple years back. I believe it was actually the last election time where I asked how should Christians vote and kind of talked about that. So go back. It might take a bit of scrolling, but go back and find that episode if you're really interested to hear my take as well as uh, a a friend who's a political studies major and lives in Washington, D.C. I had him on the show, interviewed him. If you want to hear our take on that, please go back and find that episode. Like I said, it might take some scrolling uh, to get there, but it's definitely worth the listen if that does pique your curiosity. And who knows, maybe I'll record something more, on that subject as we get closer to the election itself. But Christians are going to say that. Let you be someone that doesn't write them off. Let you be someone that deals graciously with all. Yeah, even with, you know, crazy Uncle Jim Bob, who is going to tell you that such and such political candidate is the right thing for this country, and without them it's all going downhill and riots and all the, you know, dissension in the streets is going to occur, have some grace with Uncle Jim Bob. Because I was in Genesis for a Bible study that I host with some friends, and we got to Genesis 47, and I think it's significant enough that I should probably read a little bit to you here. You see, at the end of Genesis, a man named Joseph, a boy named Joseph, gets betrayed and sold into slavery by his brothers. And while in slavery in Egypt, he gets accused of rape by his slave owner's wife, who actually does want to have sexual relationships with him. And he he declines because she's a married woman and Joseph's a, a boy of honor. He's, he's a teenager. And so she rips his clothes off. He runs out of the house and she accuses him of rape. And he gets sent to jail for years. He's in jail and he interprets some dreams in there and asks people to remember him and they forget him. And he's in jail for years and years and years more until Pharaoh has a dream of famine of, of seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And no one can interpret the, the dream until someone remembers Joseph. And so Joseph gets called into Pharaoh's court. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh is like right on, on the fricking money. You're in charge of everything. He's like, I'm Pharaoh. I'm number one in Egypt. Joseph, you're number two. So <laughs> Hebrew slave boy becomes number two in Egypt. All the riches, every, all the access and power of Egypt is opened up to him. And he saves the world from famine. And Joseph becomes a, a picture, a, a type of Christ. He becomes a foreshadow of who Jesus is going to be to the, the down and out, the outcast born into nothing saves the world. And so, in that, Joseph saves the world. He brings his brothers to Egypt. There's this beautiful redemption story. Judah's the first person to really have show like show true repentance in the Bible. And it's beautiful. And if you haven't read it, please go and read the end of Genesis. It's fantastic. But there's something that I feel like I've always brushed over in Genesis 47, which is towards the end of the famine, everyone goes broke and is starving. And it says... In Genesis 47, the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan. The, the whole economic system collapsed because the famine was so bad. So the Egyptians came to Joseph and they said, give us bread for why should we die in your presence for the money has failed. And Joseph said, well, give us your livestock and I'll give you bread for your livestock, for their possessions. They were an agricultural society, right? So give me everything you own. And I'll give you bread. So they, they did that. And then that year ended and they came to him the next year. And they said, look, our money's gone. Our livestock's gone. Everything we own is gone. Why should our bodies and our lands die before your eyes? Give us bread. So Joseph gives them bread in exchange for all of their land. And as that year ended, the same thing happened. They ran out. And so they said, why should our bodies perish? Give our bodies to Pharaoh for bread. So they do. They own Pharaoh ends up owning the people, the land. All the possessions in Egypt. And so Joseph says, indeed, I have, brought, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. And I usually brush over that. But with 2024 approaching, I looked at it with a little bit of a different lens. Because it was God that gave Joseph the dreams. It was God that gave Pharaoh's butler the dreams. It was God that gave Pharaoh the dreams. It was God that set Joseph over the land of Egypt and what we saw there was the rise of totalitarianism in Egypt. the The economic system that I just read could be very closely compared to communism, and God brought that. And that struck me because that's really bad. And a few hundred years later, four hundred years later, it would get really, really bad. So much so that the the uh, Israelites living in Egypt, would cry out for a deliverer, would cry out for the promised Shiloh, and Shiloh would not come. Instead, God would raise up Moses and they'd have this exodus with these 10 plagues and they'd wander in the desert for 40 years. And then after that, they would have to, their children would have to go to war to take back the land that was theirs originally. And God brought all of that to pass. According to the logic and theology of the Bible, that was all God's will that it happened. And so it got me thinking. In the 40th chapter of Isaiah's book, he's talking about a prophecy of the coming Messiah. And he says something interesting there. He says, the nations are but a drop in the bucket to the Lord. And the nations cause a lot of anxiety. And perhaps in further contrast to that, Paul, later when he's in prison is writing a letter to the Philippians and in the 4th chapter that we've divided of that letter Paul says be anxious for nothing but by all things through prayer and supplication giving thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord. And so maybe we approach 2024 with something like that with with trying to piece together a life with a proper perspective that the nations are but a drop in the bucket. And God has every right, because he's God, to raise up a totalitarian evil leader if he wants to. And the king's heart, ultimately, the Bible says, is in the hand of the Lord. And so maybe before we post something about how great this candidate is or how awful this other candidate is, we just pray for both of them or all of them or however many of them are in our news feeds. Maybe we pray for the people that do support or don't support said candidate, said person. But beyond that, I think this goes to the not being anxious part. Maybe we focus on our community. Maybe we extend extra grace to those around us. Maybe we extend extra patience to those around us. Now, I'm not saying we have to agree with everyone around us. As a matter of fact... I think my last point will be to approach 2024, and this should be no surprise, but to approach 2024 with a great deal of skepticism. And I'll get that. I'll I'll get there in a minute. But we extend extra grace and extra peace and extra patience to those around us, knowing that our frustrations and the lack of grace and the lack of patience is what probably will lead to a lot of anxiety for many. Many will be so frustrated with their neighbors having different viewpoints that that will keep them up at night. That will cause them to be anxious. Many might be so frustrated with the economy that it will drive financial anxiety and you'll get that new car loan that you really shouldn't get or take out a loan for something that you really can't afford to do. Maybe we just be happy for other people. That God is blessing them. That as Martin Luther would say, God extends common grace even to the ungodly. But yes, finally, let's be skeptical. I know you're anxious. Hey, I'm anxious too. I know that there's a lot going on in the world that you can't control, that I can't control. And that affects how we see tomorrow. That affects our outlook of what we think our future will hold. If we think... Our finances will go up or down based on world events, world economy. If we think a war has anything to do with us, it could make us quite passionate. It could make us post things that divide. And hey, I'm with you. I don't want children to die. I don't want terrorist attacks to kill thousands of innocent people just trying to enjoy a music show. But I can't do anything about it with an Instagram post. I can't do anything about it with a mean, snarky comment on Facebook. But you know what I can do? I can be skeptical. And again, maybe this should come as no surprise, given the title of the podcast, The Christian Skeptic. But I can be skeptical first and foremost of myself and my beliefs. And I think that that is a posture all Christians should take, if you can. And I've mentioned before on this show that there are some Christians that just have the gift of faith. And I envy you. I really do. I wish I had that gift to just have faith with no end, faith with no question. I think that that is such an amazing, beautiful gift. And and you can probably pray (laughs) and have your faith increased. And I have not been gifted that way. And that's fine. And maybe you haven't either. Maybe you're with me. So lean into your skepticism. Ask why you're so anxious, you know. To Dave Ramsey's point, be skeptical of your finances, where your money's going. Ask why you need the thing. Ask why you want to buy the thing. Maybe it's fitness. Maybe it's health. Be skeptical as to why you're not in the shape you want to be in. Research. Look up workouts and diets and how much aerobic and anaerobic exercise you need per year. But above all, be skeptical of your faith. If you can. If that is your predisposition, much like it is mine. I think with that, with everything that we've talked about, a view that I've held my entire Christian life is, if I can disprove the person of Jesus, I will denounce him. Then and there, the moment I disprove him. And so there's a quest of, did Jesus really say Not the way the serpent asks it in the garden. But what is Jesus actually saying? What are these words that have become so familiar to so many of us actually meaning? And so that's led to some pretty intense Bible study. That's led to some pretty intense deep dives into philosophy and ancient culture and trains of thought. And Paul says in the Bible to not believe the words of him or any other prophet, but to test the spirits, test them against the scriptures and see if they're actually from God. Jesus says, knock and it'll be open to you. Seek and you'll find. Ask and it will be revealed to you. So maybe that verse I read earlier, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication. Maybe that's it. Make 2024 the year of asking and knocking. Make 2024 the year of seeking. Make 2024 the year of biblical discovery. It's going to be rough in some ways, but you know, it's going to be beautiful in other ways. And I think the more time you spend in prayer, but not just any prayer, because that verse says with thanksgiving. And I think there's something to be said about having thankful prayer towards God. And so maybe And and this is how the Lord taught us to pray, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen, right? He opens that with our Father in heaven, hallowed be be thy name. There's praise and worship to God in the opening of a prayer. Which I would argue is what gratitude is if the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hill, as David says in the Psalms, then you being thankful to God is you worshiping God, which is kind of funny. I feel like that's an objection, right? Why does God want worship? Well, what is worship? Is worship just singing songs? Absolutely not. It's not just singing songs. Worship is acknowledging that there's a creator and owner of everything, and you're thankful. Worship is, first and foremost, gratitude. So, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, making your requests known to God with all thanksgiving. So pray, make your requests known, talk to God, but be thankful. Have a worshipful prayer. If ever you sing a song for God, it should be a song of thanksgiving. That's true worship. Not a song about me, which Christian music is now full of these days, full of themselves in many ways but a song about Thanksgiving and requests and supplications. And I think that's where we have the room to be skeptical. You know, one of the best things I think for skepticism is going to the source. Maybe your request to God isn't a request for more things or for more money or for whatever, but it's a request of who are you, of show yourself. I have these questions and these doubts. You're apparently God of the universe, and you apparently hold the king's heart in your hand, and you apparently see the nations as a drop in the bucket, but you see the weak and the powerless as people worthy of bestowing might upon, Isaiah 40 says. Answer my questions. 2024 might not be so bad. Or it might be. But there's a lot to be grateful for in it. There's a lot of people to be gracious and patient with in it. But I don't know. Let me know what you think. As always, please respond to the show. Like I said, I'm going to try to be more active on social media. I am always active on my email. Um, If I don't record your question right away, have some patience with me. I will get to it, I promise. Or if I don't respond right away, have some patience with me. I'll get to it, I promise. But feel free to continue this conversation with me as we head into this new year. So as always, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed the show.